the series that we've been walking through these past weeks, the core, strengthening the right things, I believe that when we walk through the habits that we've talked about, the beliefs that sustain our, that sustain us, and the values that define us, well, something's going to happen. I, I really believe this. Something's going to happen. If we practice that, if we continue to do that, there's going to be some really good outcomes. In fact, you might say, you were going to be perfect. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. Perfect. I kind of like the sound of that. Perfect. Yeah, but don't get your hopes up too much because perfect and maybe the way you're thinking about it isn't exactly what scripture says about perfection. Being perfect in scripture is being, ready, complete, mature, and full grown. That's what it means. And You know what's fascinating to me? The perfect, and listen to this carefully, the perfect is the thing or person that is complete in which nothing that belongs to its essence has been left out. It is perfect, and hear this, it is perfect because every potential it has reached it possesses, has been realized. That is my hope, that I would come to every potential in my life that God has. And that is my desire for each of us in the room this morning, that we would live up to every potential that is available to us in Christ. And when we're strengthening the right things, I believe that can happen. In fact, Jesus calls us to be perfect. Matthew five forty eight. He says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Paul commands us to aim for perfection in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, aim, aim for it. Every one of us in the room can aim for perfection. We can do that. And then he also goes on and he reminds us that perfection is something that's possible. It's not out of our reach. It's something you and I can do. You can be mature. You can be complete. You can be full grown in Christ. You can realize every potential that God has for you, Ephesians 4.13. We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have his perfection. So this phrase, I would leave with you, this phrase, as we strengthen the right things and apply them, The outcomes will perfect us. When we strengthen the right things and apply them, the outcomes will perfect us. And that's my desire for you. And Paul said something to the Colossians that I would echo. Colossians chapter 1, he says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and, and teaching everyone with all the wisdom, with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God perfect in the relationship to Christ. That's my desire for you. I want to present you perfect, mature, complete, and full-grown in Christ. Nothing would, would be any, of greater satisfaction to me than we would be perfect in Christ. So we're going to take a few minutes this morning, and we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture just for just kind of in... Before we get to some outcomes, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all the New Testament. And it provides for us three assumptions, okay? So look at it with me, if you would, 2 Peter chapter number 1, beginning at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him 
who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Three assumptions that we see here. Number one, assumption number one, God, God is enough. God is enough. Peter says it very clearly. Everything you need for life and godliness. One more time. Everything you need for life and godliness, he has for us. God is enough. But it's so strange, strange, odd, whatever, that we look to so many sources to fill ourselves up. But God has, God's enough for us. He's always available. He is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Listen to this. It's a great verse. We don't have the right to claim that we have done anything on our own. Look at this. God gives us what it takes to do all that we do. God is enough. That's the first assumption. Second assumption is that we can't be passive in it all. We cannot be passive. Peter says it this way, and I'm just going to, he says it once, but it's implied through the rest of the passage. He says, add to, then he lists, then again, and again, and again. So I would say this way, add to, add to, add to, add to. What is that? It's not being passive. That's being active in our faith. It is not so much that we talked about the habits a few weeks ago. All right, got this Bible thing down. I read it once. I'm good. I prayed one time. I'm good. Fasting? Eh, still working on that one. But one time, one time is going to do it. Honestly, if, oh, now let me, I got to give you a little preface here. I'm going to talk a lot about basketball today, so just deal with it. Okay, so anyway, all right, I'm done now. When we were getting ready for our season, and honestly, through all of my career playing basketball, you know something? We just didn't condition one time. We conditioned, I hate to say it, every stinking day. And I'm going to add a little bit more to the stinking day. I would love everything else. We would start off with warm-ups, but then we get into the practice. We were done with the practice, and then it's it. I'd hear the, I still hear it echoing in my head. On the line. And I went, oh, no, I know what's coming. Conditioning every day. Why? Because it is that active participation that continues to grow us. One and done doesn't do it. One and done doesn't do it. Psalm 88, verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. So I don't answer this question, but how many this morning got up and called on the Lord? How many called on the Lord yesterday? How many will call on the Lord tomorrow? It is something that we are to do every day. Why? 
Because when we're strengthening the right things, it produces the right outcomes. And the third assumption is stay aggressive. Stay aggressive. Two different occasions in Peter's letter, he says this, make every effort. Okay, that's something that's, a, there's an aggressiveness about that. It's not just make an effort, it's make every effort. And he says it twice. And remember, I've said this on numerous occasions, that when there is redundancy in Scripture, it's there for a reason. It's purposeful redundancy. It is to reinforce a truth that we need to get deep into our heart. Make every effort twice. Remember a couple of things that he, that he will speak of. He talks about being chosen and called. Make sure of your election and your calling. And he also goes on and he says, you're secure. He says, if you do these things, you're going to be effective. He, he, does, he turns it in the negative. You won't be ineffective and unproductive. I would just say, you'll be effective and productive. And then he says, you will never stumble. And then there will be a rich welcome into eternity. There is a security for us as we do these things. 1 Corinthians 9.24, staying aggressive, run in such a way to get the prize. Philippians 3.14, I press on. Colossians 1.29, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God. Hebrews 11.6, earnestly seek him. So stay aggressive. These assumptions are here now. We're going to look at some outcomes. They, what they do is they provide, I, I would say it this way, a measure and a test of our maturing. So when we can look at these four outcomes, we can look at it this way. Say, okay, if these are present in my life, I'm maturing. I'm becoming complete. I'm becoming perfect. I like that. I like to have a measure Something I can look at. And it's, it's not just like I'm going to achieve something. No, it's just circular. It just continues. The more, the more that I employ this, the more complete I am. So four outcomes. The first is this. To know God. To know God. I believe that when we strengthen the right things, we're going to know God. And I can't tell you there's anything greater than knowing God. Now, we got a couple amens there, but I think we could do better than that. I don't think there's anything better in this whole world than knowing God. Yes. Nothing. You know, I, here it is. Kansas City, San Francisco, Super Bowl. There it is. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning. You ready? One of them is going to win. <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay? One of them is going to win. I don't know which one. Don't really care. You know, I hope it's a good game, kind of the size. But here's, here's the thing that I want to leave you there. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's a good kid. Actually, when I look at this, he looks like a kid. I mean, good night. He looks like he's 14 years old. I, but, you know, I, the thing is, I kept asking myself, where did this guy come from? And I, Cameron and I... Uh, my son-in-law, we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago, and I asked him this question. I said, where did, where did Mahomes play college football? I don't remember. He said, oh, he played at Texas Tech. And I went, oh, okay. Still don't remember. I mean, the dude was like off my radar. I had no idea about Patty Man. Then he's, he was the MVP last year of the National Football League in his second year. It's crazy. And I'm thinking, where did this guy come from? Now, since that time, I've learned a little more about him and what I've learned I like. 
You know, he's a Christ follower. That's wonderful. He's a humble, he's a humble guy. He seems to be a, just a pretty genuine guy. So I like that. But you know something? Even with what I know about him, I don't know him. I don't know him. I like some of the qualities that I see and hear, but I don't know him. You know, the reality is some of us, that's exactly our approach to God. We know about God. We, we, we even talk about God. And, and some of us even call out his name, sometimes not so affectionately. So we, we know, we know about God. But do you know him? Because there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing him. You know, I know a little about Patrick Mahomes, but I, I don't know him. But see, to know God, some, there's, there's some things that happen. To know God, it begins, it begins with the fear of God. You see, it's not being afraid of him, it's a respect and an awe. And I would suggest this morning that there are people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that still respect and honor God. In fact, Proverbs would say it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I would say it is the beginning of knowing God. You have to have a respect and an awe and an understanding of who he is. Also, knowing God requires a relationship with Jesus. There's no way to know the Father without coming through Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way. He is the gate. There is no other way. It isn't multiple paths, multiple, no, no, no. One way to the Father through Jesus. That's it. There is no other way. John 8, 19, if you knew me, you would know my Father too. You hear that? Don't, don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. There's no way to know God except through Christ. The third thing, that knowing God wants to know him more. You just want to know God more. There's a a hunger. There's an insatiable desire to know him more. I'm going to go out. I'm just going to tell you something that some of you are going to know. I love ice cream. Boy, that's pathetic, folks. Come on. I am not, Larry and I are not the only ones that like ice cream. I, but I don't like it. I love it. I can't, you know, none of this 1.5 quarts that they're now selling for the same price as a half gallon. Come on. I'm not, I wasn't born yesterday. I get, you guys are charging the same amount of money for less product. I don't like it. Just telling you. When I'm telling you, when there was half gallons, I could fire half of that thing down in one sitting after a full meal, no problem. And really, I could keep on going, but it was the restraint to hopefully I would have a half a gallon, a half a half a gallon the next night. Seriously, my dad, he couldn't keep me in ice cream because it was just, I love it. You know, and I can't get enough of it. I wonder, how do we feel? Do we feel the same about God? Do we have an insatiable appetite to know him? It's challenging, isn't it? The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Listen to what he writes. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ 
Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ, become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. One more time. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's getting good, but it gets gooder. I want to suffer with him. What? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. He goes on. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I can't get enough of God. And get, get the context Paul, by this time he's writing, he's probably been in jail for almost five years. Two years incarcerated in Caesarea. He makes a trip from there to Rome. He's two years under house arrest in Rome. And he writes to the Philippians sitting in a jail. And he says, after 30 years of following Jesus and everything that I've done and everything that I've seen, I want to know Jesus. Everything else is nothing. I want to know Christ. Is that the desire of your life? Because that's knowing God. That's knowing God. Also, knowing God means to obey him. 1 John chapter 2, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. We can be sure of it. So I'm asking the question, do you know God? You can be sure if you're obedient. That Also, knowing God includes love for others, 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God, and hear this, and knows God, and knows God. J.I. Packer, in his great book, Knowing God, wrote these words. Knowing God is crucially important for the living of our lives. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place. And life in it is disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. I want you to know God. And when you know God, complete, perfect full-grown and mature. Second outcome is to find freedom, find freedom. This past Monday, we, we recognized, remembered Martin Luther King, and I just got to say, I applaud Dr. King because he stood for what was right. He paid for it with his life, but he stood for what was right. And we have to honor him in that regard. And he, he made a great speech 57 years ago, a little, little more than 57 years a uh, little less than 57 years. This, I think it marks 57 years in this coming summer. I have a dream. Can I just tell you, if you have never listened, and I, would, I said first service, if you've never read it, great. No, you need to listen to it. Okay, Reading is one thing, but listening to it is another. His cadence, his timing, the power of his voice, but more than that, the conviction of his words. And then he ends it with the words from a great Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. That is just, so, it's just so good. John chapter 8, verses 32 and 36 are verses that you'd be familiar with. Jesus says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's 32 and 36. But when Jesus said it, his audience 
took issue with him. And I didn't read verse 33, which is in the kind of in the center of it, because it's just, it's extraordinary. But, you know, here's what happens. The freedom is there. We know truth sets us free. When, we're, when Jesus does it, it's complete. It's a good thing. But often we live in denial that we're not bound up by anything. But nothing could be further from the truth, as evidenced by his audience. His audience said this, ready? We're Abraham's descendants. Now look at this. And have never been slaves of anyone. What? Now, if I had been there listening, I would have done just what I did. What? Hey, what about Egypt? Remember, remember, remember that? What about Babylon? What about Persia? What about Greece? And who are these guys in the uniforms with the spears called Romans? You can't miss the irony. But that's exactly where some of us live. We live in a state of denial that there's something that keeps us from being all that God wants us to be. We are not free, even though Jesus said, the truth will set you free, and if you are set free by me, you will be free indeed. It is time for us as the family of God, as the people of God, to be free in the name of Jesus Christ and not walk in the chains that would keep us from accomplishing all that God wants to do in you and through you. You will not become mature, complete, and full-grown and perfect until we are free. It's not going to happen. And I want you to be free. See, 1 Peter, second, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, for people are slaves. There it is. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And just knowing size of our audience this morning, there's some folks that are just bound up. This is what it is. I'm not saying that critically. I'm saying that with compassion in my heart. Because Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. And you can't be free this morning in Jesus. You see, when we begin to strengthen the things that we've discussed these past three weeks, when, these weeks, when you strengthen habits, when you really lean into the beliefs that sustain you, when you really allow the values to define you, something's going to happen. Hear me, something's going to happen. When you open up God's word and you begin to read God's word, it will expose things within our life. It will unmask the things that enslave us, and it will prompt us to seek the freedom that God has for us. I wonder if it's the reasons that we do not engage with the habits that God has given to us that we don't allow the beliefs to sustain us and we don't embrace the values is because it gets too close. The conviction of the Holy Spirit continues to put his finger upon those things that he wants us to come to grips with and be free of so that we can be mature, full grown, and complete. That's his desire for you and for me. You see, we talk often about hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and there's nobody in the room that hasn't experienced them. But you see, what are those? Those are anything that hinders your walk with God. So let's be free. Let's be free. So that we could together proclaim something. I'm going to do it the first time, then I'm going to ask you to do it with me, okay? I love these words. 
I want everyone in this room to be able to declare this with the absolute passion in their heart, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Jesus wants to do that in you this morning, so I'm going to ask you to declare it right now. Come on, right now. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Let that be your testimony today. Number three, outcome. The outcome is to live on purpose. Live on purpose. I first read Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, I think early 2002. And I went on a journey through that book. Before we ever did it as a congregation, the church we were pastoring. And it was just, I had really, I don't think I'd really considered what it meant to live life on, pur- in pur- on purpose. I, I don't know that I had. But I went through these 40 days. I took one chapter per day as, the, as prescribed and did everything in it. And I'm telling you, it was just life-altering. It, it turned the way I was thinking, living on purpose. And he says in the first few pages of the book, this phrase, if you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. That's the point of everything. He, he would continue on and say this, you could reach all of your personal goals, become a raving success by the world's standards, and still miss the purposes for which God has created you. There would, nothing, there would be nothing more heartbreaking to me than to know that you had achieved all the success of this world, but miss the purpose that God has designed you to accomplish. You see, being perfect, being mature, being complete, being full grown is to live on purpose. It's to live on purpose. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Now, when David had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. That would be my hope, is that we, before I die, before I die, before this life is over, I accomplish the purpose for which God has put for me to accomplish, and that is my desire for you. It is not for us to just live haphazard lives. No, it is to accomplish the purpose for which God has designed you. He has made you unique. He has made you special. There's no one who can do what you can do on this planet. No one. You are God's instrument for this moment in time. You are You have an opportunity to serve this generation, to live on purpose in a way that will make a difference for everyone you will encounter. Don't ever miss it. Discover your purposes through your experiences, through the uniqueness of your personality. There's no bad personality. There's different ones. But discover what that is. Then allow the supernatural giftings of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do some of the things that you couldn't do out of your own gifts and talents. He can do that if you allow him to. But understand, it's one thing to discover your purpose, but then you need to align your purpose with God's purpose. That is critical. It is not just walking through life, well, I know what I'm supposed to do, but we don't align it with God's purpose, then we're still in many respects just the squirrel in the cage. We're just spinning our wheels. But God has a purpose for you. I'm going to say it again until I get everybody in this room to say amen, or at least wake up. I'm not sure which it is. God has a purpose for you. Don't miss it. Discover it and then align it with God's. 1 Kings chapter 8. 
may, my, may people all over the earth know that the Lord is God. These are the purposes of God. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And for 2 Peter 3, the Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That is the purposes of God. Align your purposes with his purposes. Live to live on purpose is the perfect life. That's the perfect life. And finally this morning, the last outcome. Well, let, me, let me also say, I did an entire message back in 2017 on purpose. And I've included for you in the notes the link to that. I want to encourage you, go back and listen to it. We unpack purpose in, in, a, in a message about 35 minutes. It'll give you more detail about how to find your purpose. And then finally, the fourth outcome is to make a difference. It's to make a difference. I was sitting in my family room I think, about, I think it was late 1988, early 1989, a lot of years ago now. I was praying, and I asked God, I said, God, help me to accomplish something significant for you. Now, before you go down the road, I said, well, that's kind of an arrogant prayer, isn't it? Prideful, you know. I wasn't praying it that way. I was really asking God, Lord, help me make a difference. Help me make a difference in the life that I have. You know, I don't know how, can we just be honest for a minute? I'm not guaranteed another breath, and nor are you. That's humbling. I want to make a difference with the life that I have. I want to make a difference. You see, when we know God, when we find freedom, when we live on purpose, Something's going to happen. You're going to make a difference. You're going to make a difference as a parent. You're going to make a difference as the best worker at your business. You're going to be the best neighbor in your neighborhood. And you're going to serve your church well. And it's important that we all would strive to make a difference. Back to basketball for a minute. You know, I'm really blessed. I, I look back and I told somebody going out this phrase that I've used, I don't know, probably a thousand times at this point. I'll use it again just for the sake of being redundant. Uh, the older I get, the better I was. Okay, so, and I think we're all kind of that way. But honestly, as I look back, I'm really grateful for all of the opportunities I had to play basketball. I started when I was in fourth grade, and I still can remember all of those basketball years, the amount of playing time I had, and the opportunity, the places I got to travel, and the stuff I got to do. It was just, it was wonderful. The friends I made, it was just, it was so good. The coaches that mentored me, and I love all of that. And, and I had a lot of playing time, but I'm almost, I'm going to tell you something too. I also had a lot of time on the bench. Can I just tell you, playing is better than being on the bench. It is also a whole lot better when you go into the locker room afterwards and you can't get your uniform off because it is soaking wet. You have poured everything you have into what you did. And you sit down and you're exhausted. You really can't already take another step, but you're exhilarated because of what happened on the court a few minutes ago. And you see, that's basketball. 
I want to tell you something. I want to encourage everyone in this room. I want you to get in the game. I want you to get off the bench. I want you to have some dirty, some dirty jerseys, as it were, when you are done with this life. You have made a difference. You have poured your life into everything that God has put into you. You are living out the purpose for which God has called you. And at the end of the day, you are exhausted, but you're exhilarated because God has led you where you are. You have made a difference in the lives of those around you. But some of you are saying, Gary, I can't do it. I don't have anything to offer, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that, whatever. Let me tell you two stories, and we'll close. Read uh, of an elderly lady in a French-speaking African country. She came to faith, and she was excited about coming to faith. And so she went to the missionary, and she said, I want to give something back. And he said, Okay, now you have to understand, this is a very elderly woman who's blind. She says, I want to give something back. And he said, okay, probably thinking like some of us are going, what in the world can she give? She said, so here's my Bible, French Bible. She said, would, would you underline in red John 3.16? He goes, okay. So he did, and so then every day... She would walk to the schoolyard and sit outside when the boys would finish school and walk by and she would ask them, would you read? They knew she was blind. Would you read what's written in red or what's underlined? They'd read John 3.16 and then she'd ask them this question, do you understand what you read? If they didn't, she would say, let me tell you the story of Jesus. And over the years, 24 of those boys not only gave their hearts to Christ, but are now in full-time ministry serving Jesus, making a difference out of this dear lady, making a difference and living on purpose. I had the privilege, Marcy and I had the privilege of pastoring a wonderful little lady named Marie, Marie Pontus. Marie was, uh, when I met Marie, she was in her late 80s. She was almost blind, pretty well deaf. I went to visit her, and I would spend time with her. Just, we'd just chat about things loudly, but we would chat about things. She was a sweetheart. And you would come into Marie's house, and here was her corner on the couch. She had a table, and on the table was her Bible. Next to her Bible was a magnifying glass. And next to her magnifying glass was a globe of the world. And it was, it was kind of curious. You just kind of look at it. And, Mar- and her daughter, Marge, would tell me, she said, well, all my mom does all day long is she just sits there with her magnifying glass, she reads the Bible, and she prays. That's all she does. So fast forward about a year or so, and we went to a missions event. Marge, her daughter, Marie's daughter, was on our missions team. So we went to a missions event. And the speaker that night was talking about how God had been opening up doors around the world for missionaries to to find a place to minister. And one of those was the Cape Verde Islands. Now, I don't know much about Cape Verde. I didn't know anything about it until that night. He was explaining that we'd not been able to get missionaries into this particular region of the world. Marge was at that meeting, and she was aghast. 
she went, she was literally, her mouth opened. After the meeting, she went and talked to, uh, to the speaker that evening and said, tell me about this. He said, well, we've been praying and asking God to open up the door of Cape Verde. So well, let me tell you a story. This is Marge now. She says, my mother, Marie, is blind, virtually blind and deaf. All she does all day long is read the Bible and pray. And she has a globe where she prays over the world. She asked me some months ago if, you, she would, if I would point out to her the Cape Verde Islands. And she, he said, well, that's curious. He said, well, also understand my mother is Portuguese. And that is a Portuguese-speaking speaking nation. So I, would, I found the Cape Verde Islands. And my mother would put her hand on the Cape Verde Islands and say, God, save those in Cape Verde. You see, here is a, a blind African lady who can't, in by, by terms of most of us, has nothing to offer, but yet she's living on purpose and making a difference. Here is a blind woman who is putting her hands on a globe and believing that the God of the universe wants to save those who speak Portuguese in the Cape Verde Islands. I want you to know something. You can make a difference. We do not have an excuse. It is time for us at Crossroads Church to get off the bench and get in the game and let God use us to do what God God has called us to do. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you the difference you can make. You can make a difference. But you got to get off the bench. Ephesians 5. Live life then with a due sense of responsibility. Not as men who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time. Despite all the difficulties of these days, don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know, what you know to be the will of God. You know it's God's will for us to serve. Crossroads, serve. Find a place and serve. Stop by the info center this morning and say, where can you use me? Whether it is regularly, whether it's monthly, whether it's seasonal, that's not the point. The point is it's time for us to get in the game. You see, when we begin to strengthen the right things, the habits, the beliefs, and the values, it produces outcomes in our life, and it is a, it is a game changer. It is a world changer to know God, to find freedom, to live on purpose, and to make a difference. That's my prayer for you. We would be complete, mature, and full grown for the glory of God. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name.